0: It's the case from the Shoyoroku, Yang-Yan's Thing, the introduction. Playing with reflections, struggling for the form, you don't recognize that the form is the source of the reflection. Raising your voice to stop an echo, you don't know that the voice is the root of the echo. If it's not riding an ox, looking for an ox, then it's using a wedge to remove a wedge. How can you avoid this error? The case. Venerable Yan Yang asked Xiaozhu, when not even a single thing can be picked up, what then? Xiaozhu said, put it down. Yang Yang said, Since not a single thing, a single thing can be taken up, how can it be put down? Zhao Zhu said, if you can't put it down, then carry it away. Upon hearing these words, Yang Yang experienced great enlightenment. The verse. If one is not being attentive enough, one cannot preempt effective attacks. Realizing one's own recklessness, one gets shamefully checkmated. When the game was over, the handle of the axe had been rotted away. After cleansing, cleansing the ordinary bones, one plays with the sacred Hermits. So a couple of weeks ago we concluded the spring angle with a zazenkai and a lively dharma encounter Gave us uh, an opportunity. Gave us all an opportunity to express our understanding of the dawn. But to have an opportunity to express doesn't grant us an automatic pass, and doesn't free us from having to take the responsibility to seize the moment. with all our might and truly express that which we are. Playing with reflections. Anything can be game for that. Anything can be picked up and played with. So in the same way, having participated in an ango and completing the duration of this training period does not necessarily mean that we have used it skillfully. You know, ango and many other traditional training methods in Zen are taken up and upheld so we can learn how to manifest the Buddha Dharma in a seamless way throughout our everyday life and so we can learn where and how we identify and how we create home not to play with but to use skillfully to transcend to get off the stage to stop playing, to start living, to embody. What trying to teach us is how to transmute harmful tendencies into compassionate action. by doing that it's showing us how harmful we can be in our actions not as criticism but as a pointer or as a flashlight and again the opportunity is there but do we seize the moment do we seize the practice the training the method So now looking at this angle, through the rear view mirror, would you say you have used it skillfully? And the theme was, to tighten up the slack, did we do it? To tighten up the slack with what? we try to focus on deepening our uh, understanding of the Dharma how to practice it correctly how to lose ourselves to every aspect of bowing, lighting an incense chanting reading sutras so to tighten up the slack and the tendency is when we don't tighten up the slack when we don't raise the intention to tighten up the slack the tendency is to loosen it up right away it doesn't take long so to tighten up the slack and now that the angle is over what did it do what did we do with it if anything that's the danger if anything the more anger we participate in, the the greater the danger is that we will stack this one up with the others. And I think that's the danger with any practice tradition that has appearance of being repetitive Zen definitely had, has that. Because we do things in the same way. We chant in the same way, in a very specific manner. We bow in the same way. We walk in the same way. We sit in the same way. We take up ango in the same way. The entry ceremony. The closing ceremony. Actually, all our ceremonies seem very repetitive. Jihatsu as well. Right? It's very specific. We eat in a specific way. We wash the balls in a specific way. It can be very transformative, but it can also be very numbing. So have we done anything with it? At the beginning, the first couple angles that we practice, all of us, it actually has a lot of power. It feels like it has a lot of power and it is transformative. And it does clear things up. Those of you who have been around for a while know, remember, the difference between past angles and maybe more recent angles. But then as time goes by, the unfamiliar becomes recognized. I've done that before. I know what this is. I remember. And then, what was uplifting and powerful very quickly becomes dull and repetitive. It may no longer serve as Transformative. As you know, it's not uncommon to hear from students statements like, "I find chanting boring. I'm going to sit. This doesn't out. Skip this session. Pass on this angle. Or maybe it's not my path anymore. I thought it's my path, but not really." So, what statements like that, what do they reveal to us as practitioners? how can we How can we use that skillfully there 's nothing wrong with feeling this way there 's nothing wrong with hearing a fellow practitioner expressing that, but we have to know how to use it skillfully so it encourages us so it can propel our practice further, deeper rather than pull us back towards the cocoon, the shell from which we come none of it has to do with the practice has to do with us has to do with the resistance it's the same with Aikido we just celebrated the 20th anniversary last week of the dojo, and uh, it was great. It was uh, you know, people congratulate us on the achievement and twenty years. Wow, it's a long time. And, but I look back at it, looking back at the last the past twenty years, and I think of all the people who joined, were very devoted for quite a while, and then disappeared have a stack of registration forms, stack, huge pile. Sometimes I look at it and wonder, what are they doing now? Have they picked something else up to practice or by now have they picked up and dropped away? Other things, other forms of practice. We, we are going to experience frustration. We are going to experience dullness. It's guaranteed with anything. But if we don't know how to use it skillfully, how to light up the path with it, then it will be a shame because what the path has to offer, what can be revealed, will not be revealed to us. And then we actually walk away feeling I know what this is about and I know it's not from me. And the statement is true because the statement is based on the ability to see at that moment and the ability to see at that moment is limited. So what we see is also limited and what we feel is also limited. But if we wrap it up, pack it up, and walk away, then it will be a shame. And that's what we have to work with. The challenges, the difficulties, the, the loss of momentum, the understanding, that, the realization that if I don't tighten it up, I am loosening it up. If I don't push myself, I'm going backwards. There's no cruising. And you can't rely on yesterday's momentum or yesterday's realization for that matter. As true as it may be, it is limited. As in the analogy of climbing a mountain the view we see as we climb is limited the higher we climb the broader the view and the crisper the air the fresher the air if i climb a little bit then it's like well it stinks here i'm gonna go back down then what then I can write a story about how stinks the practice is. So what we feel and the statements we maybe utter or hear from fellow practitioners have nothing to do with what the practice is about but have everything to do with what the practice reveals what it's showing us you heard many times that the practice is the way to and the way of realization right? it's the means and the end. And there's a way to realization. Each aspect of our practice is upaya, no more than upaya. Skillful means, skillful way. And that of course includes how we feel about the practice. If we raise it to the level of upaya, if we use it in the way it's meant to be used. When Suzuki said you bury your you pull the weeds and you bury them next to the plants so they nurture nourish the plant same with that you know everything we feel everything we think can be used to propel us further deeper but like any tool like any tool we pick up Whether it works or not has to do with us and with the way we use it. If we don't take the time to learn how to use it skillfully, we can say, well, it doesn't work, throw it away. If we don't have the patience to study it, we very quickly reject it. And, rightfully so, because it doesn't work yet. Why why doesn't it work? That's the question, why? And that question can actually bring us to the cushion, so we can examine why isn't this work. Should I point the responsibility to the tool? Should I wait for liturgy to do something for me? Or should I examine the way I chant? Should I examine the thoughts I believe about my practice? Maybe I should look at where they come from where they go who gives them validity so a well-crafted tool may be flawless by design may be flawless but its effectiveness solely depends on the skillful level of the user. You take a hammer and hit your thumb a few times, I got the hell with this hammer, it doesn't work. It's painful. It is. Painful. But pain is also, in a way, it's also upaya. If We use it skillfully. Same with frustration. Great upaya. So ango is like that. It's a structure. It's a form. It's a structure. It's designed in a specific way and it comes to life in the way we take it up the way we practice it and it aims to help us transcend the strong habit of self-grasping now when we use it correctly we actually gradually experience the diminishment of the self diminishment of the familiar self that is and at the same time an increased and all-encompassing sense of being now to the familiar self of course it seems as if we are dealing with ango after angle, Zazenkai after zazangai or one sitting period after another of course How could it not feel this way? We always stack things up. We always pile things up and compare and chop it up. And give it some kind of definition based on feelings. But is it true? Is it really what's going on or is it just a temporal Passing sensation. Is it ever more than that? To who does it feel this way? To whom? Who is the one? And what happens to the one who feels this way when the feeling is left alone? <clears throat> To subside by itself then who is the one you know, Linji said you can't drive a nail into an empty sky well you could keep trying actually and I think that's what we do we keep trying recognizing it doesn't work and well maybe I'll go hammer somewhere else But everywhere we go, same substance and same frustrations, of course, because it doesn't work. So, in the same way that you can't drive a nail into an empty sky, you can't pile up events, experiences, days, moments, or hold on to memories, thoughts, and emotions. You can't. Not because you don't try hard enough. Because it's not possible. Now we're not saying don't try. Of course try. But try and learn. Learn something from that. Recognize this doesn't work. And not because I'm in the wrong place or because I'm not skillful in holding yet. It's always one breath at a time, one anger at a time, one sitting period at a time. one technique at a time if it's Aikido You shouldn't worry so much about the rate of the deepening the rate of my progress it happens but we shouldn't worry about it so now in relation to Ango how do we know if we have used this time effectively, skillfully we can begin by honestly honestly examining the initial commitments in light of what you actually upheld also we can look at the way we meet everyday life That gives us a really good indication of where we're at. Not so much where we believe we are at. And often this is where things collide. I thought I was blah, blah, blah. By now I should be. Whatever. I'm not there yet and therefore... Those are the thoughts floating in our heads. Why is it not doing whatever? So we can look at it honestly and ask, how quickly do I realize the workings of the grasping hand? It is automatically grasping. That's a given. The question is, how quickly do I realize that I am in fact grasping it doesn't matter what it is it's a thought, opinion job title whatever, I'm holding on to it and I want to make sure others know about that so how quickly do I realize then how quickly can it be recognized as a fallacy and let go of Because often we recognize and still can't let go. We realize I am actually in the grip off, but I can't stop doing it. I can't stop saying what I'm saying. I can't keep my mouth shut. I know what's going to happen. I know where this is going. I know the damage, the harm, the pain I'm going to cause. Yet, I can't seem to stop. How quickly can it be recognized as a fallacy and how quickly can we let it go? And then how often is the defensiveness triggered? When I find myself arguing for the sake of protecting that which is false instead of turning towards that which is real and maintaining peace and equanimity you know it's, it's either a self or peace you can't have both if you want peace the self must be let go of if you want self peace must be let go of Because peace and equanimity mean no separate existence. Always. Don't believe me, just look. Check your own lives. Look at our world. Look at what's going on around us. Look at the reasons we leave peace behind. You look deep enough, you will find a hidden self, whether it's an individual a collective self. Whether it's a belief system that takes on thousands, millions of people, a nation. The root cause is always separate sense of existence. Always protecting and defending a fallacy. It's what the Buddha recognized a long time ago. But that's not enough. It's what we need to recognize today. So, what do you choose? A self with all its opinions and ideas and memories and thoughts and all peace. And then, <clears throat> when I do get caught up in some form of conflict, whether it's with the circumstances or with another person, what do I hope to gain? What am I afraid to lose? Why do I need to convince this person that I'm right? You know, this is what we study Jukai. That's what the practice is about. That's what it reveals to us. And that's what we have to go further and deeper into. If you think you got somewhere, watch out. Be very careful. If you think you have achieved something, be very careful. Because that's the doorway to where you're going to be trapped next. Guaranteed. Guaranteed because you can't drive a nail into an empty sky. So we must inquire in this way, but without bringing the judgments and thoughts of self-deprecation. Or, on the other hand, get caught up in a sense of pride. Both are as trapping. So maybe you feel that you've done really well in this past angle. Maybe you experience some sense of liberation from regrets of the past and from worrying about the future. Or maybe you think that you have done very poorly in upholding your initial commitment maybe still feel entangled and burdened by everyday life. The truth is, in reality, the vast space, the ten directions, while wide open, always, whether or not we feel free or trapped. And so there's no need for grading or for measuring level of achievement. So we have to be careful not to block the ten directions, not to feel as if they are blocked. And that's what we do with judgments and labels. As soon as the attention goes to judgments and labels, whether it's about the self or about another, which is the same thing, we're blocked. As soon as we stop and the attention goes to that which is wide and open, it's free. We are free. That's all it takes. Recognizing where the attention goes and gently, gently bring it back to Nothing. Back to not knowing. Back to not expecting. So not using an ango period skillfully does not preclude us from examining it skillfully. It's not that it's over, Nab's gonna do whatever I do until the next one comes around. No. I can still work with what I learned. And I can do a much better job with that, recognizing that I did not do such a great job with it when I was in the midst of anger. So to realize that the ten directions are always open we have to bring in the question now what? Never mind what happened up to now. Never mind. Never mind where I think I failed or where I think I succeeded what I think I realized and what I think I did not realize yet. Never mind all that. Now what? Now, what is like waking up in the morning, brand new day, not knowing anything about how it will unfold, but yet choosing to place 100% of our attention on it rather than 10% on it, 90% on yesterday. Because yesterday. Of course we find ourselves. Today we can't. Looking at this or at now what I don't know who I am. But looking at yesterday well I tell you exactly who I am or who I'm not or where I'm not yet where I want to be and on and on. Remember, Dogen's words is not measured by deep and shallow. Only by the level of commitment and determination to practice. Which is a shame because so many people get into practice and drop out. because they measure because they quantify it they quantify themselves <laughs> what Dogen speaks of is the third pillar of our practice right? the great doubt, the great trust the great determination and it's the third one among the three pillars because it actualizes the first two it actually breathes energy to the first two keeps them alive it actualizes them it has the power to quell the energy of their rising self and its grasping hand as as you show up to practice regardless of judgmental thoughts likes, dislikes the self has no voice and will not establish roots because you keep showing up because you keep moving because you're not sitting on anything for too long long as the flow is carefully maintained through being attentive to moment by moment awareness the self cannot find any ground to claim or any fixed position to identify with and the practice works beautifully in the way it sheds light on our fascination with creating fixed positions to identify with. And it shows us that often, by the way we try to become free of a fixed position, we create another shell to crawl into. The introduction says, playing with reflections, struggling, struggling with form, you don't recognize that the form is the source of the reflection. Raising your voice to stop an echo, you don't don't know that the voice is the root of the echo. And if it's not riding an ox, looking for an ox, then it's using a wedge to remove a wedge. So for us, instead of replacing one shell for another, we have to look at the source of the grasping hand. Instead of reacting to the echo, you go directly to where the sound is produced. Instead of trying to solve a problem with the same self, the same mind that, is, that created it, we get in touch with the fundamental, merge with it, and trust that it is moving, It is moving the way it needs to move and we need to move in accordance with that. Remember the dialogue that (coughs) I brought up before and illustrates that very well, how to merge with movement. It's between Yanto and Ruyang. Actually lived around the same time as Zhaju and Yanyang in this koan. Ruyang asked his teacher, Yanto what is the fundamental constant principle? And Yantu said, moving. Urian said, and if moving, then what? Yantu said, then it's not the fundamental constant principle. If moving, then what? Ah, uh, No more. Missed it. You missed the point. Right then and there. Why? You raised the question. So Riyan then sank deep in thought for a long time. I got to figure this out. What's going on here? And then Yanta looked at him, recognized what's going on and said, if you agree, then you have not shed the root of samsaric existence. If you don't agree, then you forever are sunk in life and death. Don't think you can figure it out in this way what you're trying to do is false at its core because the practice is asking us to merge with that which cannot be seen through ordinary eyes heard through conventional hearing or thought of in a conventional manner As long as we insist on seeking through, defining, quantifying, comparing, accepting, rejecting, we just go around in circles. And as the pointer says, we use a wedge to try to remove a wedge. The more we try, the further we get stuck. And that's what Ryan is doing when he sinks deep into thoughts, trying to figure out the meaning of the fundamental constant principle. How? By stopping. Let me stop and look at it for a little while. Well, how can you figure out that which is moving if you stop? And Yato immediately you saw his students getting lost in thoughts and trying to process his words intellectually, and trying to figure out, do I accept, do I reject? Does it make sense, does it not? What are the tools we're using in order to figure it out? So he said, stop doing it. Do not go to your head and torment yourself further. Hence he said, if you agree, then you have not shed the root of samsaric existence. If you don't agree, then you are forever sunk in life and death. I, so both, agreement and disagreement are not going to do it. And samsara means to wander in a state of constant discontentment. Wonder. Look around never experienced long-lasting satisfaction. Which, of course, leads to Dukkha, the Buddhist term for suffering. Or in Zen terms, not harmonizing with the souls. And for us, it means experiencing intermittent, short-lived periods of conditional contentment. I am happy because, I am content because, of what's going to happen later, of what happened yesterday, of the sun shining. And also live in the fear of losing it. But why is he saying if you agree with moving, with a moving fundamental constant principle? you have not shed the root of samsaric existence. Wouldn't that make sense? If I agree that I am moving, am I not in alignment with it? Isn't that harmonizing with the souls? And if agreement is not the answer, then wouldn't rejecting be the correct answer? And this is how the waves of yes and no trap us. This is how we drown in the sea of yes and no. If it's not this, it must be that. If it's not that, it must be this. The only way the self exists is through creating dualities. It doesn't matter what the dualities are about. As long as there is a duality, there is a self. And as long as there is a self, there is no liberation. Faith of Mind, St. San says, Abide not in dualistic views. Take heed not to pursue them. As soon as right and wrong arise, the mind is bewildered and lost. Two come from one. Hold on not even to one. When not even one thought arises, all dharmas are flawless. All dharmas mean all things and at all times everything is flawless and complete in and of itself but of course as soon as we are caught up in any duality we are unable to experience that and sink in samsaric existence any duality in this Quran we encounter Yang Yang who was Zhao Zhu's only successor Zhao Zhu is uh, Joshua and here we meet him in the early stage of his training so it's easy to relate to the need to define or be defined by experiences so the dialogue begins by Yang Yang asking when not even a single thing can be picked up what then? Maybe he had, he had an experience, a glimpse of body and mind drop away. Maybe he coupled that with what he has read or heard in Teishos. Maybe he felt that now he's young, young 2.0, a better version of the other one who showed up at the beginning. I cleared my mind and I'm here to announce that it is now officially empty. So what do I do next? Dogen said this in the Genjo If the Dharma has not yet fully come into one's body and mind, One thinks it is already sufficient. On the other hand, if the Dharma fills one's body and mind, there is a sense of insufficiency. Makes no sense. Right? Makes no sense. It seems to be the opposite. but realizing the absolute encountering the absolute is not yet enlightenment as we chant feels great still not it so Ziazhu of course is not very impressed by this statement by the announcement and he says okay put it down and it's not what Yang Yang was expecting I was surprised thinking to himself what does he mean by put it down I have nothing to put down I feel complete I feel at ease I feel like I've got something I understand the Dharma we get so consumed by the contents of our lives and by the storyline and often we find it impossible, almost impossible to turn the attention from the object of our grasping self. Whatever, Whatever it may be holding on to. And to understand the nature of the grasping self and its inner workings, we have to turn the attention away from what is being held. Towards the grasping hand itself. Away from I got nothing. Away from the nothing I think I've got. Who? Who is stuck there? Who is holding on to nothing? Is it different than the one who is holding on to something? the one who complained before about all the problems and the difficulties and the challenges and the issues and what I have, what I don't have. Are those two different people? Letting go of one identity can be the emerging of another. That's automatic. That's why great determination must be upheld at all times. No matter what, keep moving, keep practicing, show up, go deeper, go further. Don't think you've got somewhere. Don't think you've got nowhere. no leaving, no arriving. The hand automatically grasps. So in the case of this monk, or in our own case, if we think we have arrived at some achievement, we have to be careful because holding on to nothing can be a lot more difficult to let go of than holding on to something. Because it feels much better. And it's a memory we want to frame and tell others about. So, young young asks, how can I put it down? How can it be put down? Maybe he's starting to realize something, or maybe he's just being stubborn. the footnote underneath that question says, people don't know their own faults. Oxen don't know the magnitude of their strength. That's beautiful. We don't know often where we're trapped. We also don't know how powerful and magnanimous we are. how much power, how much strength we have. So we believe thoughts, emotions, memories. So Joshua says, if you can't put it down, carry it away, carry it around. Walk around with it if you want. Joshua was a very gentle teacher, profoundly gentle. He wasn't interested in having disciples. You want to study? Show up. Come, sit. No problem. You want to talk? Let's talk. Here it is. You want to carry it? Carry it. Walk around with it. You want to believe it? Believe it. you insist on being empty headed fine then carry the idea of being empty headed you have my permission as your teacher you know, Zen teachers are considered great thieves that will steal from you anything you find valuable and want to cherish but the stealing is done in a very skillful way which sometimes leads to immediate opening, and other times it needs to simmer for a while. <clears throat> but in this case, it is said that upon hearing these words, Yan Yang Yang-Yang experienced great enlightenment. The commentator brings up a similar dialogue to shed light on this con. It says, Among us, Bao Si. It is said that when feelings arise, wisdom is blocked. How about when feelings do not arise? Basi said, blocked. The monk said, if they do not arise, how can they be blocked? They already arise, right? by saying, by asking the question, they arise. Is wisdom blocked or not? And you know, Nagarjuna said, Wisdom is like a mass of fire. It cannot be entered from any side. A mass of fire. It sure feels this way, doesn't it? And then he said, And then he said, right after that, he said, Wisdom is like a clear, cool pool of water. It can be entered from any side. Both are true. Both are true. The verse says, if one is not being attentive enough, one cannot preempt effective attacks. Realizing one, one's own recklessness, one gets shamefully checkmated. Now this is uh, it's equating the dialogue between Zhaozhu and Yang Yang, Yang Yang to a game of chess. Yang, Yang Yang thought he came with a solid Zen move. My mind is empty. Of course, Zhaozhu snatched it in the blink of an eye and then went along on the level ground, threw it away, carried it around. And the next two lines, the last two lines on the, on, in the verse are based on old story. The last two lines, when the game was over, the handle of the axe had been rotted away after cleansing Cleansing the ordinary bones, one plays with the sacred hermits. During the Qin dynasty, there was a woodcutter who worked in the service of the emperor. One day, when he was walking along on a mountain path, he came by a house made of stone. There he saw two boys playing chess. Being fond of chess, he he went in to watch the game. The boys offered him a snack of some berries, which he munched on while watching the game. When the game finally finished, one of the boys saw that the handle of the woodcutter's axe had rotted away. The woodcutter found it odd and went home that day, only to find everything completely changed, as if more than 100 years had passed. It turned out that he, was so, he became so absorbed in watching the chess game that he forgot about everything, including the passage of time. Now the story is relating to the dialogue in this koan. Right? It's comparing a chess game between the two boys and then the woodcutter losing himself completely in the act of total absorption while watching the game. And this is what the practice is offering. Complete loss of time, space, storyline. Not knowing. Not knowing. Diving deeply into the great depth. being fueled by great determination. So how do we practice, is the question. Do we practice with this kind of mind, with this kind of energy? Are we dropping away all the thoughts and emotions associated with the self? A footnote on the verse says tell me what time is it now? What time is it now? Where do you have to go after this? What's next? How do you value this? Who is asking? (coughs) Who will answer? Who is chopping life? Moments. Good moments, bad moments, cherished ones, rejected ones. The ones I like, the ones I don't like. Moments I will put my heart and soul into, and moments I will kind of half heartedly deal with. I'll leave you with a story about a, a carpenter who was just about to retire carpenter who used to build homes and he was apparently very good at it master carpenter built beautiful flawless homes for many years he worked for this guy so he was going to retire and and his boss said before you retire I just want you to build one more home There's one more project, and I need you on that because you're really good. So please, extend your time and do that for me. He said, okay, reluctantly. He got on the project, he worked on it, but he wasn't quite into it because his heart was not into it. It He did not put all his might into the work. And of course, it looked like that. It was kind of crooked. The doors did not close well. The windows didn't match well. The roof wasn't put on well. But he finished the job. So he goes to his boss, says, I'm done. Can I retire now? And his boss Takes a key to the house, gives it to him. He says, This is my gift to you for all the years that you gave me. I want to give you this house. You're going to live in this house. So, how do we proceed from here? Where do we go? How much efforts, energy, heart are we going to put to the next moment? This is the house we live in.